want to just uh, say that today we're going to begin a series out of the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. And we're going to look at what Jesus had to say to seven churches. Now, I'm not covering seven churches today, so breathe a sigh of relief. Amen. I'm going to take them one by one. But we're going to see that book of Revelation is 22 chapters, but the first three, particularly chapters two and three, Jesus first focuses on the church before giving 19 chapters of end time prophecy he first focuses on the church amen and you're a part of the church now whether or not you're a part of turning point you're also a part of a universal church how do you become a member of a church you get saved because the bible says when we get saved the holy spirit places us in the body of christ right so we're part of a universal church we just happen to be located here at turning point on garden acres so we're going to look today the first church and i'm going to give you a little history background and kind of bring you up to speed on uh, how the book of revelation opens up but the book of revelation is just what a way to end the bible the book of revelation right a profound prophetic book that we're seeing come to pass right in front of our eyes. So today, let's pray, and we're going to begin, and I'm going to take seven churches, seven weeks to cover this, one church at a time. And I believe that God has something to say to us from every one of those churches. Amen? Father, thank you for your word today. We pray that you will open up to us our understanding, help us to see uh, what you were saying to these churches, starting with the first one. Lord, we know this word of yours is eternal. And it never grows old or stale. It has no shelf life. But it goes on and on, r- relevant to every culture, every society, across the span of time. And Lord, what you had to say to these churches, you're saying to us. So we pray in Jesus' name, stir us. Revive us. Awaken us. And help us to be shining red hot for Jesus in these dark last days. Lord, let us be a city on a hill, shining, not hiding under a bushel, not hiding in a closet, but out there shining your light into this world. So, Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, would you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive the word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, The incredible book of Revelation was delivered to the beloved disciple John. I call him beloved because remember, he even called himself in his own gospel the disciple that Jesus loved, all right? And um, so it's to this, this man, John, Jesus chose to give this incredible revelation. Now, when he was 92, 
for preaching Jesus, he got banished to a little island called Patmos. Can you imagine being uprooted and moved to some desolate island uh, when you're 92? Somebody say, I can't do it at 52. Right? But 92. And for preaching Jesus, he is exiled to this island. The island was about six by ten miles. A little bit bigger than downtown Fort Worth. That's about it. There were no trees. There was no greenery. It was an island known for just being rocks. There was nothing beautiful about it. It sure wasn't a place where you would choose to go for a vacation. The Isle of Patmos. During this time, the early church that he helped birth was going through an extremely difficult time. Incredible persecution. Martyrdom happening all the time. You didn't know if you were going to have your loved ones the next day. Uh, People being killed for sharing Christ, for even identifying with Christ. Families being separated. People being in prison. Losing your reputation. Losing your home. Losing everything you held near and dear for the name of Christ. It was a very difficult time in church history. The Roman government that they were in was godless. And Rome was infested with a multitude of anti-Christian religions and mainly the worship of a pantheon of mythical, fake, false, phony gods that the Romans just borrowed from the Greeks. The Greek Zeus, their main god, became the Roman Jupiter, their main god. But they were all fake and phony. They weren't real. They weren't genuine. They were false. But these people, and we got to understand this, they believed they were real. There was a God for everything. God for the weather. God for uh, fertility. A God, when, when it thundered in lightning, they, they, they said, well, there's Zeus. He's upset. They believed this. And that's the Rome that the Christian church was birthed in. And when they didn't worship their gods, you were persecuted for it. If you said Jesus was God, you were persecuted for it because they wanted you, they forced you to worship their God, their fake gods. So it was a time of great distress for God's people. So one reason that God gave John the revelation was to comfort and assure the church that even though they were going through hell on earth, and they were, God was still in control. Still in control. And guess what, everybody? Even though it seems like America has gone bazooka crazy, God is still in control. God is still in control. Now, the revelation opens up with, I'm talking about technicolor, dynamic stuff. Because the first thing John sees is the risen Savior. That's the first thing he sees. Uh, He's transported to heaven. And this old, formerly salty old fisherman was given a succession of visions so incredible they boggled the mind of thinkers to this day. God took this fisherman, John, along with Peter and the others, and turned them into intellectual spiritual giants. Seeing things, writing things, revelatory things. 
that to this day we can't fully understand. First thing he sees is the risen Savior. He sees the risen Savior who looked nothing like the Jesus he had known on earth. No, this is a very different Jesus. He describes him this way. He says, his eyes were like fire. When he looked at you, it burned a hole right through you. Eyes like fire. Hair as white as wool. A voice that sounded like thunder rolling. This is the way he describes it. A sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Of course, representing the word of God because he was the word of God. And his countenance shone like the summer sun on a hot August Texas afternoon. I thought that would resonate with you. Jesus soon reveals to John that he's got an initial target audience for this revelation. Now, the revelation was good for, for centuries to come until Jesus returns and there's a whole new world and the church is no more because we're all in heaven and it's a whole different thing. But up until that moment, uh, the revelation that Jesus gives John, initially, it's for seven churches and he names them. But it's really for all of us because all these seven churches, and I'm going to tell you who they are in just a moment, but these seven churches represent uh, what they were going through, the issues they had, are issues that all churches have throughout time. So every one of these churches has something we can learn from. We're going to walk away having grown, understanding what matters to God, what God cares about in his blood-bought church. We're going to learn about it in this series. So he says to John, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. Seven churches. And thank God he did write it down because the book of Revelation is the end of our Bible. He wrote it down and the Bible was closed. Here's the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna. Now these are locations. There weren't 50 churches in one town. There was one. Man, that would give you some church growth, right? One church. But he says, here's the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He said, I want you to send it. When I'm going to show you the, the revelation, I want you to send it to those seven churches. And they were located in what today we would call, call modern-day Turkey. They were about a rowboat's journey from Patmos. John could have gotten in a rowboat and rowed to the land where these seven churches were. So in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus sends the equivalent of a love note to each of these seven churches. They're all different. He's got a different message for every one of them. He knows every one of them inside out. He knows what they're struggling with. He knows how Satan has attacked them. He knows their spiritual temperature. He knows where they are with him. Are you hot? you cold? you lukewarm? He knows the battles they've come up against. He knows the cities they're in and what those cities are, are bringing against them conflict-wise. He knows all about them, their temptations, their weaknesses, their strengths. Matter of fact, he starts out his address to every one of these churches with, I know, I know. I know your works. I know what you're dealing with. I know your compromises. I know your strengths. I know where you're excelling. I know. 
And let me tell you, every one of us individually today, Jesus knows what we're facing. He knows where you are. He knows the temptations that have come against you. He knows how the enemy is attacking you and your family. He knows your weaknesses and he knows your strengths. He knows your failures. He knows your successes. He knows. Everybody say, he knows. knows. Uh, Jesus looks at the church corporately, collectively, and he looks at the individuals in the church and he knows. We never tell him anything he doesn't know. We say, Lord, I just want you to know. You can stop right there. He already knows. Right? Jesus knows. He knows all about us. He he knows the day we're going to die. He knows the day we were born. He knows how he wired our DNA. We are fearfully and wonderfully fashioned by his hands. He knows. Now, the first church that Jesus addresses is in Ephesus, the church Paul wrote his epistle to. You read the book of Ephesians, that's the first church Jesus addresses in the Revelation. Now, the Ephesian church is sometimes called the lacking church. Lacking, L-A-C-K-I-N-G, lacking. And they're lacking something very important that I'm going to touch on in just a moment. But they're called the lacking church. Now, Paul birthed this church. Uh, He went to Ephesus, and when he got to Ephesus, Paul found out that this, this church and this city, the city where he would build the church, was in the grip of idolatry really bad idolatry. They were in bondage to a mythical goddess called Diana. Diana was believed to be the mother goddess of the woods and the mother goddess of animals. Now you got to understand, they really believed this. They believed that there was a mother goddess, this mythical woman, who was the goddess of the woods and of animals. And the idolatry in Ephesus was so strong that a huge, beautiful temple had been built to this mythical goddess called Diana. I mean, tons of money went into this thing, and it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. They built a temple considered one of the seven wonders of the world to a woman who doesn't exist. Idolatry. They were enslaved to this. The worship of Diana fueled much of the economy of Ephesus. And true to form, when Paul got there, he sees this. And he begins to witness Jesus to everything that moved. And he began to win people to Christ. And quickly the numbers swelled until all of a sudden Paul had a church. And there it was, the church of Ephesus. And so Paul was so successful in Ephesus, he stayed two years teaching and preaching, raising up leadership, laying the foundation of the Christian faith. You read the book of Ephesians. It's so rich. It's so powerful. I love it. I was in it this week. I particularly love chapters four and five. If I can just be honest, filled with revelation, filled with great stuff. Can you imagine sitting under the apostle Paul for two years? Amen. I personally believe he was the greatest Christian to ever live. Uh, not that I'm comparing, I'm just comparing. But, but I think he was probably the greatest Christian to ever live. And so he birthed this church in Ephesus. 
But here's the deal. Eventually, so many people had turned to Christ and forsaken the worship of Diana that the silversmiths who made the little silver figurines of Diana and sold them all the time and had their income from these things and made their living off these little silver figurines and other paraphernalia that had to do with Diana, they began to notice that their business was dropping because Paul was winning the whole city. Hallelujah. Paul was winning the whole city. And and how would you like to win the city of Fort Worth? How would you like to so affect the economy of Fort Worth that liquor stores and all kinds of other things began to shut down because so many people were getting saved and getting spirit-filled and selling out to Christ that there are certain things out there making their living. They can't do it anymore because so many people are turning to Christ. So one of them, named Demetrius the silversmith, decided he was going to have to attack Paul. So he stirred up a raging mob, denouncing Paul, denouncing the Christian faith, and praising Diana. And the whole city was in an uproar over what Demetrius caused. It was a riot. Finally, a city figure stepped in and and quelled the riot, shut it down, and Paul decided it's time for me to move on. And so he took the leadership that he had raised up, set them over the Ephesian church, and he moved down the road. Now here's something very important. The Ephesian church was birthed around 55 AD. 55. John wrote the Revelation around 90 to 95 AD. You got 40 years. This church has existed when Paul, or rather, Jesus gives John this revelation and addresses them. When Jesus addresses the Ephesian church, they're about 35 to 40 years old. And something has happened to them that really concerned Jesus. Now, as Jesus did with five of the seven churches, he begins his address to them with positive stuff. All right? Now, keep in mind, folks, whatever Jesus ever says to any of these churches or to you and me, it's always out of love. He never does anything that's not out of love. God is love. God is love. He doesn't just love, but he loves because he is love. And so anything he does towards you and me, anything he says to us, it is out of love. And so what he says to them is out of love. He starts out in verse 2, and he says, I know all the things you do. Boy, I could preach on that. How many of you get a little nervous when I read Jesus saying, I know all the things you do. Santa Claus stole what Jesus does. We say of Santa Claus, he knows if you've been good or bad, so be good. No, 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 no. Santa Claus stole that. Jesus knows all that you do. And he says this, here comes the compliments. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, and they are not. You have discovered they are liars. So people that were posing as apostles and they were fake, the Ephesian church discerned them and said, you're not a real apostle. Called them liars because they were lying, and they dealt with sin. Did you know the church is supposed to address sin? Did you know that? We're so, how else are we going to be light 
If we don't stand up and say, this is sin, this is wrong, this is not right, you need to repent. So they did this. And then you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So here's their pluses. Hard work, perseverance, intolerance of evil, discernment, and patient suffering without putting up the white flag and walking away and quitting. That's my kind of church. How many of you want to be this way? How many of you want to be this way? Amen? Wouldn't you love for Jesus to say, look at you and say, hey, I see your hard work, perseverance, intolerance of evil. You've got great discernment. You've been patient in suffering and you haven't given up. Wouldn't you love for him to say that about you and me? And Turning Point Church. So at first glance, it looks like they're batting a thousand. But here it comes. His next words point out a concern. Revelations 2.4. Nevertheless, when Jesus says nevertheless, buckle your seatbelt. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Nevertheless, I have one thing I've spotted. When I look down on Ephesus and I look down at the Ephesian church, I see all these positives, but I see something lacking that is huge, that really matters. Because the, the, the primary ingredient of Christianity is not big buildings, it's not a bunch of money, it's not a bunch of stuff, possessions, it's not even theology per se, but the, the number one ingredient of Christianity is love, and, and you've left it. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by how you get along with one another, how you compliment one another. No, by how you love one another. By this, by this one thing, all men will know. Love is the main ingredient of the Christian faith. Not religion, not rules, not regulations, not doing everything right. Because they're doing everything right but they're doing something, they've lost something, left something very crucial. You've you've left your first love. Notice, they didn't lose it, they left it. They left it. Nevertheless, I have this against you, you left your first love. New Living Translation puts it this way, I have this complaint against you, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other like you did at the beginning. You've drifted from it. You've left it. You didn't lose it like you lose a set of car keys. You left it. So can't we see here that you can do a lot of things right and still miss the main thing? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to love one another. What does that say about the current church world? Are we loving one another? He he said, you've left your vertical, you've drifted from your vertical love with me, and you've drifted from your horizontal love for one another. You're doing so many things right, but you're missing the main thing. Now, what does first love even mean? You've left your first love. It means your original passion for the Lord when you got saved. 
Remember when you got saved? Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus the other, witnessing to everything that moved. In church, every time the door is open, you didn't go because you should, you went because you wanted to. Right? It wasn't a duty, it was a delight. Do you remember? Come on, everybody. See, we need to let the word of, of God search us here because Jesus gave this, put this in his eternal word. Why did he focus on these seven churches and say to them what he said? If he didn't intend for it to speak to us because he knew how long it would be before he returned. So here it is. The love they had toward him and toward each other, they had drifted from. The love that was first ignited in their souls when they got saved. That they had lost. You don't love me or each other like you once did. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book to the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, he even bragged on them for their love. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. Notice, uh, strong faith and fervent love were their early strengths. It's what they were known for. They weren't known for the big building, bunch of money, a lot of pizzazz, talent, the singing, none of that. What were they known for? What were they famous for? They were known for their love and their strong faith. So the very thing that characterized them early on, they lost. In a few decades, 35 to 40 years, they had drifted. Now remember, Jesus is never going to point something like this out, but in love. See, he wants us healthy. He wants a healthy body. He doesn't want a body with a fever. He doesn't want a body that is anemic. He wants a body that is healthy. So he says, I want to get you back to where you once were. I want to show you that you have drifted from the love that used to characterize you and showed all men that you were my disciples indeed. Now, he never, gives us, he never gives us a problem or points something out that he doesn't give us a solution. My Jesus is a solution Jesus. My Jesus is an answer Jesus. He never says, boy, you got this really wrong unless he's going to show us how to make it really right. Amen? He's Dr. Jesus. He's going to give us a prescription for heaven's pharmacy. And if you go and you get that prescription, he's going to fix us. He's going to make it right. He's going to help us to get back in line with his will. Amen? So in one verse, he gives the solution to drifting from the first love. And here it is. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Why don't everybody say with me, remember. Then repent. Isn't that a great word? Our culture loves that word. Repent. And then recover. Do the first works. That means recover the first works. So let's say it again. Remember. Remember. Repent. Repent. Recover. Now, he's giving the salute. He's telling them how to get back to the incredible spiritual place they had once been in. Now, this may point to you or to me, or it may not. But this is something we need to understand. Look what matters to Jesus. 
Not the building you're meeting in. Not, the, 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 not who's coming to your church. What matters to Jesus as he looks down at this Ephesian church? Their spiritual love. Their love level. That's what mattered to Jesus. The things that we think matter to him or the things that matter to us so often don't matter to him. He doesn't care about the richness of a building. He doesn't care about how much money you've got. What he does care about is, are you loving me and are you loving one another? Come on, everybody. I have this, I have this against you that you've left your first love. So he says, remember. Now what's he saying there? Look how far you've fallen. In other words, pause a moment and think back. Think back. Do some self-assessment regarding your relationship with me, where it once was and where it is now. Is your relationship now where it used to be? Is it better? Is it stronger? Is it weaker? Is it um, comparable to where it was when you got saved? Because when you get saved, you got that first love. Oh, I'm in love with Jesus. He's really touched me, changed me. Holy Spirit has filled me. I am slap happy in love with the Lord. I'm witnessing to everything that moves. I'm in church every time those doors swing open. I love Jesus. Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus the other. It's all about Jesus. That's the first love. Now he says, remember, think back. Is it the same now? Is it as strong now? Is it as healthy now? Think back. Think back. Remember. Do you have the same joy? Same zeal? Same passion for Jesus? Are you excited to come to God's house? Or has it become a robotic duty? Has your inner zeal cooled off? Do you witness like you used to? Pray like you used to? Read the Bible like you used to? I'm talking to Jeff here too. Okay, I'm going to let the word search me, search us. Because this is what Jesus says to them. Remember, think back. Compare yesterday to now. On a scale of one to ten, where would you place your current walk with Jesus compared to when you first got saved? Is it just as healthy? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it lukewarm? So Jesus said to them and to us, put the brakes on, step out of your busy life. And look at where you are spiritually, your spiritual temperature. What is it? 98.7? 60, you're almost dead? Do you have a fever? Or is it where it ought to be? He says, put the brakes on and assess yourself. Now that's what he said to them. So here's this Ephesian church doing so many things right. And they get this letter from John and they're going, wow, where are we? Because according to John, because they got this letter, and Jesus gives their name. It says, that church in Ephesus, I want you to tell them, they've lost their first love. I don't know who read it to them, but it was not great news. But you know what? They repented. And that's the second thing that Jesus said do. When you remember back, and again, you may be hotter today for Jesus than you were five years ago. Wonderful, good for you, amen. I love to hear it. But if it does pertain to you or to me, we need to remember back. He says, repent. 
What a great word. Repent is not a negative word. Repentance is the word that swings open the door of all of God's blessings for you and me. Just to say, Lord, I've done wrong, I repent. And when you say that, then the blessings of God are poured out. He says, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Now, repentance simply means this, change your mind. That's what repentance means. Change your mind and turn back. So I'm going one way, and I think that everything is cool. Great perseverance, great discernment. We're knocking the doors down with our outreaches. All these things are going great, but then the word of God comes to me and Jesus points something out. You've lost your first love, so you stop. You go, wow, it's true. So you change your mind and you turn and you return back to the one that you're to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You turn back. You you, you turn back to him. Real repentance means I stop, I change my mind, I turn around, and I return. Repent means to return. That's what it means. Return. Yeah, it's interesting. In the Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in, repentance means to take a deep breath and sigh. It's like you realize, wow, did I mess up. <sighs> Been there lately? How did I say that, think that, go there, do that? <sighs> but now, what good does it do you to go, ah? <sighs> If you stop there, what good does that do? The prodigal son didn't wake up in the pigsty and go, oh, man, I'm eating pig's food. I've really messed up. Ugh. What if the story had stopped there? He'd have died in the pigsty. No, it says, he said this. It's in the Bible. Jesus said this. He returned. He said, I will go home. So he stopped. He said, I've really messed up. And he sighed, but then he got up and he returned. And the father saw him coming and ran towards him and hugged him and kissed him and threw a party for him because he loved seeing him come home. But that's what repentance is. It's when you return. Repentance is not just a feeling, it's an action word. So Jesus said, If you have drifted from that first love, breathe your sigh of regret. Go ahead, but don't stop there. Get up and return home. You know what I love about God? The porch light is always on in the Father's house. The porch light is always on. So you turn around. You go back to God. You turn and you return home. When God points something out. So Jesus is saying to the Ephesian church, return to your first love. Return. And then he tells them exactly how to do it. The last word, recover. Look at what he says. It's so interesting. He says, remember therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. What were the first works? The works that sprang from their first love. Yeah, you remember when you got saved? You're full of the Holy Spirit. You've met Jesus for the very first time. You're excited. 
Everything is Jesus. Everything is about him. And you got involved in so many things that sprang from your first love. Remember the first works that were birthed by that first love of zeal and excitement. Do again what your first love moved you to do back then. Read the Bible like you did back then. Pray like you did back then. Get involved in the work of the Lord like you did back then. Teach a Bible class like you did back then. Do street ministry like you once did. Reconnect to an outreach to the lost and the needy like you used to. Lift up a fallen brother like you used to. Open your heart. Open your wallet. Open a helping hand to move the gospel down the road like you once did. Do the original works. Get back to doing what you used to do. Now some people say, well, I'll wait for the old feelings to come back. And when the old feelings come back, I'm, I'm all in. No, here's what Jesus says. He says, get all in and the feelings will follow. Jump back in and the feelings will follow. We're not led by emotions. We're led by our decision, by faith, by obedience. And when we do what God has called us to do, the feelings follow. And that old fire, that old love, that old zeal comes back when you plug back in. I want you to listen to this verse. I close with this. Listen to this. Hebrews says, take a new grip. Everybody say a new grip. With your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, verse 13, I love this. Mark out a straight path for your feet. So that the leg which is lame, what's the lame leg we're talking about? You've lost your first love. So he says, make a straight path for your feet so the leg which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather may be healed. How do you experience healing in your inner man? By getting a new grip and making a straight path for your feet. Start doing what you used to do. Don't sit on the bleachers anymore. Get on the field. Carry the ball. Make some touchdowns. Carry the gospel. Be a worker, not a, per, not a spectator, but a participator. Amen? Stand up with me, would you? Can we say together, remember, repent, recover. That's Jesus' word to the Ephesian church. First church he singled out. Now you say, well, did they do it? I think they did it. I do believe they did it. I think if a letter was written to me, turning point from Jesus. You've lost your first love. Oh my. I'd be down here night and day and day and night, right here in this altar, on my face, crying out to God, if Jesus said that to me. Amen? Jesus knows you and me. He knows right where we are. So let me ask this question in closing. We're going to pray. What do you think your spiritual temperature is compared to what it used to be? What do I think mine is? I had to, because I'm preaching this, I had to deal with this question before I brought it to you. Where are you, Jeff? Where are you? Because, listen, when I got saved, I got really saved. 
When I got spirit-filled, I had to say to the Lord, stop or I'm going to die. You're pouring out so much on me. Where am I compared to then? Where are you compared to your spiritual birthday and the weeks and months that follow? Like I said, maybe you're better now than then. But it's worth asking ourselves because this is what this church was asked and what they were told. So can we lift our hands to the Lord Jesus and say with me, Lord, today, I want to walk in that first love. I don't want to be doing everything right and miss the main thing. Search my heart, Lord, and show me if in any way or any area I need to stop and turn and return to what Jesus wants for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment, you can say, Jeff, this spoke to me. I know that I do need to return to some zeal. I need to return to that fire. I need to return to that passion that I had for Jesus. And I needed this today. Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. Many, many people all throughout this place. With your heads bowed, let me just talk to you. Life can be hard. I don't want you to beat yourself up if your zeal level is not where it used to be. Life is hard. It can bring some tough stuff against us. Getting busy, paying bills, raising kids, making ends meet dealing with the setbacks and the disappointments and the disillusionments. All of those things can dull the keen edge of our walk with the Lord, our, our passion for Jesus. And so I don't want you to leave condemned. I want you to leave encouraged that just plug back in. Go home today. This is what I asked the first service to do. Go home today and just say, Jesus, is there anything I need to return to? Anything I used to do that I need to return to? Show me, and I will plug back in. And reignite that fire and that first love. And rediscover the excitement and the joy of my initial walk with you. Do it in Jesus' name and see what he says to you. Thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Amen. Uh, I want to be real transparent with you. There have been so many times that just getting back into doing what God called me to do uh, was therapy for me. There's something about giving out, plugging in. Don't be a bench warmer. Get on the field. And if you're going to burn out, burn out for Jesus. Amen? Amen. And speaking of, 
I'm going to ask Pastor Ray to come on up. Now, boy, I'll tell you, I can't dress like he does because he comes up in all kinds of things. But just speaking of doing what God's called you to do and getting in there and ministering for the Lord, we've been doing it all week long with our little children. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell them what's happened, Pastor Ray. Oh, my goodness. Summer Fun University came to a close just about two minutes ago. We had our final service in there in the castle. Had a lot of fun. But I know the final number. 153 kids came to camp last week. Wow. Now, we had lots of fun, and the heat was excessive. We had 114 feels like on Wednesday, but we had 75 of you guys who gave of your time this week to spend out there in the heat and the and and the, the noise of being with lots of kids, and I cannot tell you how thankful I am for a church wow. that gets behind their kids. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But you know Look the greatest there. amount of fun? Yeah, they're running that while you. Yeah, this fantastic stuff. We, Fort Worth Police Department. I don't know where he is. Yeah, he's out here. There he, there he is. is. Come on up here. Come on up friend. here, quick. Now, <laughs> some of them. Now. <laughs> Come on. Now, let me tell you, I've watched this man transform. Because a few weeks ago, he came down to the altar and totally committed his life to Christ. In his... Uh, God is good. Let me tell you what happened. Are you ready? In, in his uniform. <laughs> in his uniform, he gave his heart to... I thought he was down here to whisk me out. And I said... Do I need to go with you? He said, no, I'm here to get, I want to get my heart to Jesus. And I realized, oh, I'm watching a holy moment here. The Holy Spirit was all over him, and he was getting saved, giving his heart to Christ. Well, and since then, lots of great he stuff. can't get enough. Go. Let me, t- let me tell you real quick. Uh, I, I announced in the middle of the week that we were going to have this police officer in the dunking booth. I said, how many of you want to dunk a cop? Uh-oh. And I tell you what, they, they lined up all over the place. To dunk. I was the first one. Yeah. Um, just to make sure it worked. Right, right. But I'm thankful for Fort Worth. I'm thankful for Briar Oaks uh, Fire Department. They came out, did a fabulous job. I'm so look thankful. at all those kids. But so many people working so hard. But the best thing of all, and this is why we do this. Um, I, I like having fun. I like dressing funky. But here's what here's what I like the, math, the best. I like standing in the castle, if you've never done it, you need to try it. And watching a hundred plus kids seek God's face on their knees. Amazing stuff happens. I taught this week, stuff happens when God shows up and stuff happened all week. We had a lot week. of kids get saved, we had kids get filled with the Spirit. But here's the big thing, they want to be baptized. Baptize them. We're going to be baptizing. So we're so thankful. Pastor Jeff, thank you so much for letting us do all of this. It's a, it's a blast. Well, now here's a man. I, I'm not lifting up a man, but I'm going to tell you, he's given his life to reaching children. I think he's one of the best children's pastors in Texas. Amen. Amen. I'm going to get this over. Now, hang on. So now, Pastor Ray, you've had down moments. Oh, yeah. And you've had times where uh, you just couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel very well. It's true. But you got back in. And when you did what God has called you to do, 
It revived you. One of the worst moments in my life was about 23 years ago. And I, I thought I'd blown the whole thing. I thought I'd run out of everything, the whole steam of everything. And I found myself sitting in my living room and just, just moping. I mean, moping, dreading the fact that, you know, I have to go back next week to do it all over again. And a six-year-old girl came up to me in my house. She was there visiting. She came up and she said, Pastor Ray, you can't quit now. There are so many out there that need to hear, and you need to get closer to God. And I took that six-year-old's words and went with it. And I'm still there. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to A child shall lead them. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Pastor Ray. Now, what we're going to do is we are going to dismiss. Uh, and if you've got to go, you're free to go. But we're going to hang around and worship a little bit. And if you need prayer, I want you to come down, and we're going to pray for you down here as we continue to worship. Uh, Wednesday night, we're, we're going to start with Jude. I'm going to finish our series on Jude. I'm so tempted to say it. I'm going to say it. Hey, Jude. That way you'll remember what I'm teaching on Wednesday night. Uh, but we're going to talk about Jude. It's an incredibly red-hot prophetic letter. One chapter, but it pulsates with life. So we're going to deal with that. Well, not this Wednesday night. It's prayer. The Wednesday after. So now you have two weeks to pray about it. All right. We're going to be praying and interceding Wednesday. I love you in Christ. How many of you needed this today? Amen. All right. Father, bless the people as they go. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful nation. Help America, Lord. Pour out your revival on it. And Lord, thank you for blessing us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.